You're listening to the Week Ahead podcast from Strong Towns, hosted by me, Rachel Quedno. This is your chance to catch up on the latest events and goings-on behind the scenes of the Strong Towns organization. Tune in every Monday for more updates. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Week Ahead podcast. I'm your host, Rachel, and my guest today is Strong Towns member and contributor, Arian Horbovitz, who lives in Rochester, New York. Arian blogs at theurbanphoenix.com, and we have the pleasure of republishing some of his articles on our site on a regular basis. So, Arian, welcome to the Strong Towns podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Did I get all that info about you right, Rochester, New that- York? Okay. That is spot on. Okay. Absolutely. You write about uh, like all these different cities in uh, upstate New York. It sounds like you get around a lot. So I wasn't <laughs> positive about which one you actually reside in, but yes, yes, cool. I do a lot of a lot of writing for a lot of cities, but uh, but Rochester has been my home for uh, for for many many decades now. So, <laughs> so can you take um, thirty or sixty seconds to just tell? everyone listening a little bit more about you. Um, We know that you write and live in New York State. Um, Yeah, tell us a little bit about what you do and um, how you got involved with Strong Towns. Absolutely. Uh, So the Urban Phoenix started a little over three years ago. And initially, I'm a photographer by trade, actually. And initially, I wanted to create a a photo blog of of small cities uh, that maybe have had some difficult pasts or difficult recent pasts um, across uh, New York State. And what it turned into was kind of this, this, I guess, journey through, um, you know, seeing cities evolve and seeing the elements of that evolution. And so I started really writing less about kind of the entertainment factor and the interesting, the, 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 more, you know, less like a tourist and more like an urbanist and really looking at the elements that create a strong urban revival. And the neat thing about being able to explore a lot of cities across New York state and a lot of different sizes uh, with a lot of different, you know, populations and everything like that is I've been able to see kind of um, the ups and downs. I've been able to see what this city is doing right, what this city is doing right, what this city is doing maybe could do a little better with this city, uh, could improve on over here. So I've been able to come up with kind of compare and contrast and then to some extent share those ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's been a really, really neat thing. So um, it's turned into a wonderful journey for me. And uh, I always love to share it with, uh, with everyone else. And just, you know, I connected with Strong Towns, oh, probably about two years ago, mm-hmm. uh, became a big fan right away. And uh, to be a regular contributor has just been wonderful. Um, it's it's opened me up to a new audience, to a, to a national audience at this point. And, um, and that's really exciting, too, to hear from people from Savannah, Georgia, uh, <laughs> and San Antonio, Texas, and things like that, that, that are experiencing the same things we're experiencing here in upstate New York. So uh, Strong Towns has just been wonderful in sharing that message. Yeah, it really seems like the issues that you talk about, um, while you're kind of using New York cities and towns as a case study, they're so applicable to so many other communities. I mean, yeah, New York Mm -hmm. is not the same as California, but still the challenges are pretty similar and hopefully the solutions can be similar or inspired by what you're learning as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, every city is, is, has, has the same, uh, has the same ability to, to, to capture their strengths. And every city really has the same challenges, you know, slightly dem- different demographics, you know, depending on where you are in the country and things like that. But the same challenges exist. Um, 
we're all trying to get past this, you know, this time where, where we, we took our cities for granted, where we, uh, we, we, we damaged them, we cut them with, you know, highways, parking. Here in upstate New York, uh, so many of our cities have, have really, really suffered. Um, you know, you can go to, especially the smaller cities, um, all cities have, have felt the effects of it. But especially the smaller cities, you can just see how, you know, the highways that, that, that kind of cut through these cities or even run by them um, have really done so much to, uh, to to kind of tear the fabric of the cities and the neighborhoods apart. And you can feel it. You know, when I explore these cities, I walk the streets, you know, and I, I walk street by street and you can feel uh, the difference, you know, when you approach these highways, when you approach these centers where, you know, that, that are designed to move traffic quickly instead of, you know, move people to to destinations and to and, and, and around key, you know, areas in the city. Um, and, you know, you can you can really, really feel it right there. And, you know, obviously the plagues of of, you know, finding place for parking. You know, everyone says the same thing is, well, you know, there's never enough places to park. There's always enough places to park in these cities. <laughs> <laughs> but people, you know, people don't want to think of, obviously about the fact that, you know, when they park at a mall, they're still walking probably just as far as they would when they're parking, you know, a quarter mile away from their destination in a city. Um, but parking, you know, has just, uh, you know, plagued my city and, and continues to plague cities across the uh, excessive parking, you know, has continues to plague uh, cities across our state. Um, and it's uh, it's really something that, uh, that, that, you know, that, that we struggle with on a, on a huge level. You know, the other thing that we deal with, you know, so many Rust Belt cities, I think, you know, share this same thing. And I, I know you do where you're from as well, is, you know, our summers are <laughs> five months of the year. We still have snow on the ground right now. I know. Um, I got up this we, morning and it was snowing. It, and it was it's horrifying. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we get 99 inches of snow a year here in Rochester. So the hard part is when you start advocating for things like, Hey, let's create a better outdoor space for people. Let's create, you know, that's always, always the pushback comes from why, when you can only use it six months out of the year. And of course, True. as you might know, in, in Minneapolis, uh, you know, where you have, you know, such a strong cycling population, despite the cold weather and everything like that, um, it is possible, but it's a hard sell. It's a really, really hard sell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so making, I think making those you know, taking our cities back to places where people want to be. You're talking about building public space and green space, walkability. Selling those concepts is that much harder where we are. That's talking about, you know, the uniqueness of the region that I'm in. Those cells are very difficult when people kind of think of hibernating almost for six months out of the year. So when you're talking about using taxpayer money, you're talking talking about investments or land use, Using them for those things is a much harder sell where we are as opposed to, say, San Antonio. <laughs> yeah. So those, that's that's something we definitely struggle with here. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about is you, like so many of our readers and members and writers, are someone that didn't come from a professional planning or engineering background. Mm-hmm. So right. how have you... Um, educated yourself about these issues? Has it all just been kind of immersive observing the spaces around you or reading sites yeah. like Strong Towns or what? Yeah, you know, it's, it's really amazing because when you start, it is, I mean, Strong Towns is really the first site that I connected with. Um, and, you know, I, I, I love the content that comes through because I, I do love that it comes from members from all over the country. So I get to see different people's perspectives. And of course, you know, I read City Lab and I read, you know, The Urbanist and, and, and uh, you know, Streets Blog and, 
you know, there's so many great sites out there that talk about the kinds of things that we, you know, I follow people on Twitter that, you know, every day you see uh, different ideas, different, you know, different thoughts on, on, on this issue or this issue, different approaches. And what's amazing is you see so much of the same things over and over again, um, which sounds boring, but <laughs> if you have a passion for this, you love connecting the dots, right? You love seeing where one city is experiencing the same thing and another city is experiencing the same thing. And they're dealing with the same issues and they're dealing with the same, you know, how do we, uh, how do we change the tide? How do we, how do we change the conversation uh, about the d- direction of our cities and, and, and what's happening? And what I like is I, I'm really seeing for the first time uh, across the nation, I'm seeing a sharing of ideas between cities. And this is something I don't see uh, often enough uh, between cities in my city. I, I've been very critical of Rochester and our local government's, unfortunately, inability to look beyond Rochester mm-hmm. and see how other cities are approaching the problems that we're having. So I think, you know, as somebody getting back to the original question, as somebody that has kind of absorbed this organically, I should say, or get, you know, very naturally instead of a, uh, an actual program, um, it's just it's just about really looking at all the resources. There's such a diverse array of resources available to learn this material. Um, and uh, it's, it's looking at all of those every day and immersing yourself in this, this would become a passion for me. And, and uh, for me too, the, another reason I really kind of love this topic is because I went to school for social sciences. So I went to school as a psych major, like so many, <laughs> and I yeah. only use it on myself. That's pretty much it. And, mm-hmm. uh, um, but I had a sociology minor, and I've always been drawn to social constructs, uh, social movements. Um, what what makes people uh, do this or that on a, on a macro scale? And I love talking about you know people as if we, we think of people as individuals, and they absolutely are. But when you look at people as large populations, everyone does kind of the same things when given the same set of circumstances. And a lot of people don't like to think that way because it depersonalizes, it dehumanizes. Yeah. Uh, but I think I think it looks at trends and things like that very realistically. And I think when you do that, when you're realistic about what people do, it makes you more, uh, it makes you less dispassionate. <laughs> it makes you uh, realize that you know we're all affected by the same sets of circumstances uh, when they're applied to us. So if we can change the circumstances, maybe we can change. Uh, our, our communities as a whole. So that's that's the big thing that I get really fired up about <laughs> is looking at, at large scale trends and and the messages we're sending to the people in our cities. Yeah, I didn't know that that was your background. That uh, that really makes sense because I it seems like um, there's a good chunk of the articles that you write that kind of use that lens of talking about like broader trends and how yes. groups of people react to things. I come from generally more of a perception point of view and a more if this, then this point of view. Um, you know, a lot of people get into, you know, exact values, numbers, stats, and, and those things are important. I use those as well. But more than anything, I'll talk about more things like perception, about if local government supports this, what message is that sending to the population? How is the population going to respond to that? So, you know, I kind of come at it from a little different perspective than other people, obviously, uh, with that with that, you know, with that mindset, but I think it's a necessary one. And I, it's, it's one that I, I've kind of found a, uh, it's, it's sort of my place. If that makes any sense. Mm, yeah. 
And your photos really help us like see the concepts that you're talking about so well. They're fantastic. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's, it's something that I uh, picked up about 10 years ago and I do wedding and portrait photography on the side and, uh, um, and it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a great thing. So when I can use that to kind of paint a, a picture uh, and not a false one, a, a realistic one of the, of the cities that I visit, um, I think that's something that a lot of people connect with uh, when I'm talking about their cities. When they can see their city, you know, you know I'm talking about Utica, New York, uh, for example, and they can see their city uh, through somebody else's eyes, through uh, somebody that doesn't live there. I think that's a big piece of why people connect with what they do uh, with the Urban Phoenix. So. so one of the articles that you wrote last year, I think uh, early last year, that was very popular and widely discussed when we republished it on our site, and I assume also on your site, was uh, the big urban mistake, building for tourism versus livability. And this was one of those pieces where you talked about this broad trend that you notice in the typical pattern of downtown revival mm-hmm. and how it like seems to be going well. And then all of a sudden there is a turning point where people make decisions that don't turn out so well for the city. And then you sure. offered like a better plan for downtown revival. Um, what, how did you come up with that piece? And what has, what has been the reaction that you've heard? Uh, definitely. So that piece, uh, you know, sometimes you write a piece and you think it's just, you know, you think, wow, this is really good. I think this is going to connect with a lot of people and like, you know, 60 people view it. And then sometimes you write a piece that, you know, you think, oh, this is this is good. This is solid. But you don't ever expect that it's going to get kind of the exposure that it does. It doesn't um, that piece uh, with the help of Strong Towns, by the way, because I know you republished it uh, several times, um, uh, you know, got really went around the country and i know i can see from the people from the visits on my page where you know the traffic is coming from that really connected with so many people and i got emails from all over the country you know saying that they understood that concept the concept that you know i talk often about this because i see it in my city and i see it in the cities that i visit um you know this city the urban revival especially here in the rust belt happens when we you know, take small steps to revitalize neighborhoods. So it starts, and I wrote about this recently as well, it starts with a coffee shop or a brewery, you know, something that, that local people can connect with again. And then you're building lofts over that coffee shop or brewery. So then you're now you're, you're getting people living downtown again. And it just expands from there. And, and you see this kind of, this very organic start to a revival. And it's wonderful to see. It's a beautiful thing to see. And when people realize, when people with, you know, when, when, when big money and local government realize that they can kind of capitalize on this movement, suddenly they want to go big. And suddenly they want to create entertainment districts. And suddenly we want to make the same mistakes that we've made over and over again. Uh, we want to make them once more. Because, you know, when you – cities our, – our impression of cities for the past 50 years has been that these are places where you go for fun. These are places you go to visit on a trip. These are entertainment centers. And look – that is a wonderful and needed component in our in all of our cities. And I don't want to downplay that. Tourism, bringing people in, reintroducing people from our region, you know, from across our region and beyond, that's really, really important in our cities, reintroducing people to what we have now. Um, but when that eclipses the need to take care of the residents that live there and, and the need to provide amenities and listen to the people that live there and the people that are moving there. One of our hottest neighborhoods in Rochester is Center City. Uh, we have thousands of new residents just in the last few years, and we cannot build fast enough for, for this population. We can't build uh, housing fast enough down here. And 
you know, my problem is when you kind of count these folks through the turnstiles and then you build for another population, <laughs> you build for a population that doesn't, you know, that, that doesn't live in the city. You know, you build this, the, we all know the keywords. We're going to be a destination. We're going to be an entertainment district. We're going to be a, um, you know, and, and when you start prioritizing those things over the people that live there, over livability, over elements of how do, how do we create a stronger neighborhood? How do we create a stronger downtown for everyone? How do we lay this foundation for sustainable long-term growth? That's what I write about because that's what I see just really it's, – it's a, it's a very powerful force in our cities, and that's something that we have to really um, make sure that we're keeping in check. <laughs> Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think that that really resonates for a lot of other cities. It's such a key insight for us at Strong Towns that like, just because instead of building a big highway and going to debt to do it, you're building a big stadium or a big casino and going into debt to do it. Um, those things are not any better uses of our money. They're still like the same pitfalls of just trying to put all your eggs in one basket and spending way too much money when you should be focusing on those little investments that are going to make the city better for everybody. Well, it absolutely. And that's something that strong towns highlights extremely well. And I'm, I'm so, you know, I love reading pieces that, that highlight that, you know, people, you know, you talk about this a lot. People don't think of the amount of money that we spend on highways, on highway maintenance. You know, people say, well, I don't ride Amtrak because it's subsidized, but, you know, they'll get in their car and drive down the road. <laughs> Guess what? There's nothing more subsidized than our road and highway system, uh, you know, in, in this in this, uh, in this country as far as transportation. Um, you know, so that's a hard thing for people to, 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 to grapple with, I think. And that's a, that's a concept I think Strong Towns and, and many other uh, outlets, um, you know, across the nation are, are really trying to push. And I think we're making slow progress at helping people realize where we're really spending our money in our cities, where so much of that money is going, and that there are other ways of building a city than, like you said, just creating a couple of different destinations and then highways to them. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing that I would say about that, too, is we so badly overestimate this concept of, I call it trickle-down urbanism, this we're going to build a huge entertainment center or stadium or theater or whatever. And listen, these things, like I said, are very important to our downtowns and to our local pride. But what I don't like is we constantly, constantly overestimate the effect of these of these places. Um, and, you know, everyone says, oh, well, people are just going to go to this place and then they're going to afterwards, they're going to filter out into all the local businesses. That doesn't always happen. It can if the area is constructed in a way that, that welcomes that. But you can't just expect that you're going to plop down a stadium somewhere and all of a sudden the neighborhood around it is going to revive itself. Um, you know, we, we had a similar situation where we tried to do that in Rochester, and it, and it hasn't really worked. And it's we struggled <laughs> with that with that piece um, here. And, uh, you know, uh, that's that's what I see more often than not is this belief that, you know, if you build it, everyone will come and then everyone will filter out into the, into the surrounding area. That's not always the case. So we have to be very careful of where we place things about, you know, where our investments are uh, in these in these draws and these entertainment draws, because they don't always have the impact that we think they're going to. So you definitely talk about the the challenges that cities are facing a fair amount, but you also seem to have a pretty optimistic tone in a lot of your writing. Um, what makes you hopeful? 
that's a great question. It's funny because when I started this, I started writing almost exclusively the positive aspects of cities. And it's not that I ignore the negative aspects, but when you when you really do this more and more, you start kind of wanting to point out, hey, we could do a little better here. We could do a little better here. Um, so I think for me, I'm just generally a, a pretty positive person. Um, I, I try to see things realistically, a little more realistically now, but I do believe, I think if we approach all of our cities and all of our issues that we have from a, from a kind of a, you know, oh, this is so tough. We're in a tough spot. This is very, you know, we are doing a tremendous disservice to the hundreds and thousands of people, uh, in our cities that are working hard every day to make our city better. And sometimes I do get down. Sometimes I look around and oh, we're making a bad decision here. This isn't happening the way I wish it would here uh, in my own city or in the cities that I, you know, that I visit across New York State and beyond. But, you know, then I meet those people that are making those little efforts that you talk about, those, those little grassroots kind of uh, uh, leaps, you know, and, and are doing everything they can to kind of fight the, 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 the bigger trends and, and everything like that that are going in the other direction. There are so many dedicated people in our cities that are working hard every day. And if we, if we for a moment, are, are negative or, or down in our cities, we negate all the things that these people are doing. And these are our neighbors. These are our neighbors that are working hard every day to try to make, because they believe in their community. They're trying to make their community a better place to live. And every time I get down, every time I try to, you know, I, I, I feel like, oh, we're, you know, we're really, really making some mistakes here. I try to think of those people and, and realize that there's a lot of good people in our cities, every city, that are, that are working hard to make it better. And you, you just you follow their lead and, and you, uh, uh, you do your best to highlight what they're, what they're fighting for and what they're talking about. And, and that's, that's what motivates me. That's what keeps me positive. I wanted to mention for our listeners really quick, we have an event this week, uh, tomorrow actually, in Thompsonville, Michigan. Chuck is speaking, uh, giving a lunchtime keynote at the Small Town and Rural Development Conference. But if you can't make it to that, um, you know, it, it is a conference. You do have to get a ticket to attend. There is a free, um, just casual uh, happy hour meetup that will be in Traverse City, Michigan, uh, at 5 p.m. at the Rare Bird Brew Pub. So I'll publish info. On the off chance that you're in that area, um, please join Chuck and other Strong Towns members and uh, hang out, talk about the issues. Uh, Arian, have you been reading or watching or listening to anything interesting lately? It does not have to be strictly Strong Towns related. I'm always reading books, and it's terrible because I'm always forgetting titles. But uh, I'm reading a great book now called uh, New Localism. And uh, it, it talks about, you know, the, the very things that we talk about, you know, on, on the Urban Phoenix or Strong Towns. But it talks about just almost kind of what we've been talking about in this conversation. How do we talk about growing our cities the right way uh, in, in a time of in a time of populism and in this in this very difficult time, I think, for uh, for, for the things that we advocate for, for transit, for things like that. It, you know, it, it really discusses how to go about that. And it talks you know, about, again, all, all the right things. And there's sometimes where I read books to, um, I, I think, to absorb <laughs> uh, and, and to really learn and everything like that. And then there's times where I, I read books because we all are kind of fighting for the right things and, and trying to 
move our cities in the right directions. And again, sometimes we get down about, about things that don't go the right way. So this book really, for me, it's such a, it's such a confirmation. It's such a wonderful, uh, you know, uh, it, it keeps me thinking that I'm knowing that I'm doing the right thing. So uh, uh, I think it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful book. I can't, it's called New Localism, and I can't, I can't uh, recommend it enough for, for our listeners out there. Cool. And we had the author, Bruce Katz, on our podcast uh, a few months back. So um, that awesome. was a good conversation. Yes, it's a wonderful book. It's very well put together. I have to give a shout out to a podcast that I've been listening to lately. It's called Impolite Company. And it's uh, just a conversation with two journalists, writers talking about politics and religion, i.e. the mm. topics that polite people are supposed to not talk about. So that's <laughs> that's been a fun one for me to listen to. It's kind of a uh, feminist take on religion and politics. So. Love it. Love it. Such, such important topics too. And, and we don't think about those, but those are the things that, you know, bind our community, get together and have the ability to separate us. So, you know, the, the more conversation we can have on those issues, I think the better, I think it's fantastic. And that's, that's what cities do is, you know, I think, you know, when you talk about cities, they allow us a chance and op- a better opportunity to have those conversations. They give us a, a forum for that. And I think that's really, really important. Totally agree. Well, Arian, thanks so much for being on the podcast. We always love getting to feature your work on our site and spark so many valuable conversations. So it's great to talk to you and look forward to sharing a lot more of your work with our readers and our members. Thank you so much. And I can't say enough about what Strong Towns does to highlight uh, not only the issues that we're, that we're dealing with in our cities, but also to highlight uh, urbanists like myself across the nation that, uh, that, that now have a voice. And, and I can't thank uh, you and, and all of Strong Towns enough for, for giving us that voice. So we really appreciate it. Well, you are a huge part of this movement. So thank you, too. Thank okay. you. Well, take care. And yeah, have a great week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's the story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit Agenda 21. Yeah.